Hello, everybody. Welcome to a brand new show. This is the first ever of what could be anything. We don't know where this is going to go, but myself and Diego decided to come together, bring you guys the blockchain Web3 NFT culture show that you deserve. We're calling it Right Click Save the World, a conflation of blockchain won't save the world and right click save as. That's what we're going with for now. We're coming to you both both here live in Portugal. It's been a huge week. We've got a lot to cover. For anybody who doesn't know Diego Borgo, Diego, why don't you please just get started and introduce yourself? Cool. Yeah, super stoked, man. Super excited. When we start sort of like fleshing this out, I was like, ow, now we're going to cook something exciting and interesting. So yeah, super stoked to be with you on this, on this ride. Um, how do I give a short introduction and don't bother the audience, which is always difficult. I've been, I'm, I've been consulting brands for the last eight years in digital marketing, digital strategy and branding. So that's my sort of like web two background, right? I've been, uh, you know, I've been in blockchain since 2017 when I sort of like got introduced to the whole thing and saw the possibilities, the, the use case and all of that. And that just sort of like, you know, really got me excited. To, to see how that technology had the, or has the potential to, you know, disrupt the world in many different manners, positively, hopefully. <laughs> and from there, uh, you know, I, I just kept trying to figure out what would, what would be my, my space within that community, but I never really found it because I'm a brand guy, right? I'm a marketeer. I started working when I was 16 years old in an agency in Brazil where I was helping brands like Samsung, Microsoft, uh, you know, like Red Bull to enter um, the esports community, but I also like figure out what social meant to them back in 2007, right? So I, my whole career was really focused on like people and, and culture behavior, uh, you know, upcoming culture elements like gaming back on the day. So blockchain for me was like, how do I fit in this space, right? And, and when I talked about the show, I was also saying like, I'm not a tech or a dev guy, right? So it was really hard for me to do that transition. But all of that changed when, when you know, I first heard of NFTs. When NFTs came about and then Web3 came along and then Metaverse, I was like, holy shit. Now there is space for me in this community, right? Now there is something for me that it makes sense. So my, my brain blew up by February, April last year, let's say, where, you know, I've seen this technology now getting together with the cultural elements that I'm super excited about, right? So when I first seen that, I was like, listen, I need to go all in. There is no way back. Uh, and I did, you know, and I was really, really lucky to be in the right place, on the right time, with the right friends, with the right attitude, because I was consulting Adidas for four years in the headquarters and external partner. And friends of mine were already pushing the brand towards the direction. They onboarded me to the space. And uh, I joined them to deliver what was uh, done last year by December, which is into the metaverse. And after that, we worked together on delivering Prada and Adidas collaboration. And then after that, I left the brand and did what I always did, right, which is consulting brands. So I've been since January doing three things. One is uh, consulting brands on how to enter the metaverse in the NFT space, mostly Fortune 500 brands. So I've been working with brands like, uh, you know, um, Unilever, um, Salesforce, Volkswagen, Porsche, Skoda, Shell, um, you know, L'Oreal brands on that caliber. And then the second thing is spending a lot of time with Web3, uh, you know, founders and creators that are building the edge of technology as we speak. And then the third thing is a lot of education, right? So as I know, we are super early and the whole madness of like NFT Twitter and, and NFT, uh, you know, a crypto NFT is so hard to get in. I decide translating the message for the masses, right? So making it easier, bringing the brand element to it, bringing the cultural element to it. 
So that's a very long ass introduction of myself, but you know, that's kind <laughs> of like what I've been up to within this, this last year. I love that, Diego. And honestly, like I've been following your content. You have some of the most engagement. You have some of the most creative content. Um, when Chris Koronowski, who is probably out there somewhere, probably listening in, when he oh, put no. together the kind of the, the, the two by two of, of you know, how, how are people in Web3 moving? And I looked at you, you were under indexing on followers, but like top 10 or top five for engagement and content creation. I was thinking this, this guy's incredible. He's creating mixed media stuff. He understands the audience. He's got a really great feel for what people are interested to know and interested to learn about. And that's, you know, b before we met, I was like, I really want to do something with this guy because I'm going to learn a lot from him. You know, the, the companies you mentioned, any organization, you know, Polygon, Deloitte, IBM would love to have a client base like that saying, you know, that you're working close to brands that are working close to culture, that are working close to how we can reimagine stuff with technology, tokens, metaverse or immersive realities. This is, I think, the most interesting time for creating stuff. And you're doing that every day for your day job, which I, I think is hugely exciting. And I'm fanboying out a little bit on what it is that you get to do for a day job. So um, really, really happy that we've managed to, to, to get a chance to work together. People, for people who don't know me, um, my name's Anthony Day. I've been working in innovation, strategy, technology for about 20 years. The last six years of that or so, 2016 onwards, I was the chief operating officer of Deloitte's Global Delivery Center for Blockchain based out of Dublin in Ireland. So at that time I was working in, with a team of developers, architects, project managers, business analysts on building and delivering blockchain platforms, live ops awesome. and support across like all of the blockchains of the day, right? Ethereum, EOS, Quorum, uh, sorry, Quorum, Corda, Hyperledger Fabric, you know, everything that was being discovered at the time. We were thinking about launching or having an ICO platform in-house where we could do um, launch pad stuff. That would have been a disaster, by the way. I'm glad we didn't. <laughs> then on to IBM. I was a consulting partner with IBM focused on blockchain in the UK and Ireland. And then more recently, Parity Technologies. So the team behind the Polkadot blockchain, working mm. on ecosystem development, looking at specific verticals, spending a lot of my time looking at gaming specifically and understanding how the certain technologies as a layer zero or a layer one, how, how can they be differentiated, right? There's a whole bunch of blockchains now. We're not short of blockchains, but how do you differentiate? How do you provide something compelling for a specific vertical or for a specific type of company based on what your blockchain does, based on what your community has? Um, you know, based on what the, in, in Polkadot's case, the multiple different parachains that operate on top of Polkadot, how can we bring them together to create something amazing? So I've had a little bit more experience from the delivery side. I would never call myself a technical person. I guess I'm, I'm a business architect who's understand a who understands technology architecture. Awesome. Um, I coded in PHP back in the day for a little while, but that was, that was enough to tell me that I wasn't made, I wasn't built for it. <laughs> I'm built for other things. Um, so, so that's for anyone who doesn't know me. Let's go jump into it because we've got a lot to do today. Thank you, everybody who's putting comments in the comments section. Let's see those GMs. Say it back. I know, Diego, I've stolen your catchphrase, but <laughs> give us the GMs. Tell us where you're coming in from as well. I'd love to know where is the community around the world. Let us know where are you dialing in from? Where's your hometown? Where are you based? Where are you working from now? Any of the Portuguese community, let us know here. Diego and I live actually 15 minutes down the road from each other. I'm down in Sintra. He's up in Ericeira. So any of the Portuguese community dialing in, shout to you guys as well. It's been a big week. 
Oh right? yeah. I mean, it has been we crazy. say we age quickly, quicker in, in web three, but this week is kind of like, you know, I age probably like 10 years. Every, every minute I'm like looking at something different, something worse happened. Right. And then you're just like, okay. And then everybody start questioning and doubting and like, Oh, how are the brands perceiving it? Right. Like, do you think that it's dead? And, and you know, what's happening? I was like, man, like 2017 was way worse and look where we are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one thing that is unique to blockchain and Web3 is the kind of secular, net, secular nature of um, boom and bust, of excitement and then FUD. Um, for those who, who haven't been following the news, probably better to have not been focusing too hard on Twitter in the last few days. But we've seen a, a major um, liquidity issue with the second largest exchange in the world, FTX. They've been borrowing users' funds and trading on them. And as a result... Uh, they were found out. They were found to be short of liquidity. People started taking money out of the exchange. People started um, moving against FTT token. And as a result, we now have um, a, a fairly um, significant amount of bad news in the press. I've written a couple of posts on this this week in terms of what does it mean for Web3? What does it mean for crypto? What does it mean for exchanges? For those people who are looking at this saying, oh, crypto's failed, Web3's failed, blockchain's failed, none of these issues from this week relate specifically to hacks or necessarily exploits against the technology. The interesting thing here is that FTX is a centralized exchange. Think of it as almost as a, as, as a bank. Right? This is an on-ramp for people to take their currencies, dollars, euros, um, pesos, whatever you have, and to be able to exchange those for cryptocurrencies. You can also trade on those platforms so you can swap cryptocurrencies on the platform for other cryptos. And then, you know, should you choose to, if you self-custody, you can take those, those tokens, those coins off the exchange and keep them in your own wallet. So you, you don't have to use an exchange, although typically it is a starting point for most people who want to buy tokens in crypto, but it doesn't have to be the only place you do it. Now, part of the problem with FTX having a liquidity issue and, and the exchange having to stop trading or to, to cease withdrawals and deposits is anybody who's kept their crypto on that exchange for convenience or because they were regularly trading, their funds are now locked up there. Yep. Right. So that's, that's bad news for those guys. On top of that, right, FTX as, as, a, as an organization was investing in others. So it had a significant amount of investment in certain tokens or in certain layer one blockchains. So anybody who was used to receiving funding or support from FTX, that could be BlockFi, that could be Solana, and others, the taps are now going to be turned down a little bit. So the general outlook for those projects, if they were being bankrolled by FTX, is a little bit less positive. You've then also got a term that people are using, contagion. For me, just the knock-on effect then of trades or leverage or the debt that FTX has taken out in its trades with other counterparties. And so there will be other organizations out there in crypto that could be venture capital, those could be you know, foundations, layer one projects, that could be small projects that may have a knock-on effect because FTX can't repay them or because business as usual in terms of the service that they were used to or the access to FTX services or their tokens on, on that particular exchange is now compromised. Yeah. So that's that's the shortest, shortest possible TLDR. version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, sure I've, I'm sure I've missed a couple of kind of points along the way. There's other... Interesting things coming in, other layer ones trying to help people who've had tokens locked up there. There was an interesting exploit people were doing today by launching NFTs on the FT FTX marketplace because 
the withdrawals weren't allowed, but NFT trading was still happening. So people were putting up NFTs and buying those NFTs for the equivalent value of money they had locked up on the exchange. So people could actually get their money out. That's um, so wild. I've seen some, some transactions of like $10 million, mm. right? Like insanity. Absolutely. NF insanity. NFT bull run is on. There you go. <laughs> Who said that JPEGs are worthless, right? <laughs> Here we are. We are back. In the, and this, in the this is what upsets way. me, you know, within, within that conversation. That's what upsets me because we do such a hard work on justifying a lot of the criticism NFTs, uh, especially NFTs get of being like a tool for like money laundry or a tool for speculation. And then that type of thing happens, right? And it's just like, oh God, like <laughs> it's such a crazy space to be at because, you know, like things sometimes play extremely against what what we all say that this place is not about, right? Which 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 is also very hard to handle, especially if you are on the, the side of things that we are, that we are trying to, to show, you know, the, the brightness of the space or sort of like mm. the positivity of the space or the possibilities of the space. So, yeah, I think maybe it's interesting for us to start, you know, tackling, tackling that conversation, I think, from the big elephant in the room, which is like, what about decentralization, right? The, mm -hmm. the, whole, the whole conversation within that is around decentralization, but then seeing what Binance is doing is the most centralized thing you could potentially do, right? You short a company and then you try to buy them and then you don't buy them anymore. And then that company went bankrupt because of that whole conversation, right? So like, what yeah, are your thoughts on this? So ultimately what it shows is still the remaining importance of external capital or large amounts of capital in the emerging Web3 industry. Let's call it an industry, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, before we get into it, you know, Crypto is not the only component of Web3. Blockchain is not the only component of Web3. Crypto is not blockchain. There are very many different terms or very different, many different components of what makes up Web3 as an emerging tech industry. Right? You have blockchains, which are the decentralized layer for storing data, processing information, automating activity, and so on. Right? That's, that's where you start at the bottom. We create cryptocurrencies or tokens as a way of creating economic security for transactions. So you use those cryptos to pay validators or to reward validators for validating transactions. They will have consumed energy or have com computed some complex calculations or staked a, a, a proportion of value to make sure that they, as a result, are not found to be fraudulent or that they can guarantee that the results of the transactions that get submitted into that blockchain or into that kind of application are not fraudulent. So yeah. the reason we have those tokens is to find a, me a method, a decentralized, trustless method of securing the transactions that happen there. We then have applications, dApps, right? Those could be games. Those could be um, you know, decentralized exchanges that allow you to swap tokens without having to go through a centralized authority. Those could be um, a whole bunch of other different functions that, that normal applications on your smartphone can do. You then have infrastructure. You have the ability to compute, you have the ability to query data, you have the ability to store information in a decentralized way so it can't be removed or, or censored. Right? Those JPEGs that sit behind your art NFT or your digital collectible, if those are on a cloud server, if the cloud server gets switched off, you can't see what your JPEG is anymore. If those get stored in decentralized cloud storage, they're more likely to be resistant and persistent. Right? All of that stuff is what people are still building with today. And yet the issue we've had is that the, the trading component around crypto has been found to be manipulated because 
people's capital has been mismanaged by the equivalent of a bank in this yeah. context. Right? That's, that's where we are. What I loved, you posted today, and I loved it, actually. You've, you've kind of said, okay, all of this is going on over here. We've got all of this noise around mismanagement of capital. If there is a hole, you know, if there's an $8 billion or $10 billion hole in what's owed to people in you know, the banking industry of Web3, are we likely to see a credit crunch or a financial crisis in the same way we did in 2007? Not sure, right? The market cap of crypto generally is about a trillion dollars, um, give or take. You know, it's been yeah. more, it's been three, it's now one. 10 billion out of a trillion, is that enough to cause a significant structural failure in the whole of Web3? My sense is probably not, but we don't know how far that, that 10 trillion, sorry, that 10 billion goes. So yeah. I'm not going to speculate. Yeah. But what you posted today is, well, look at the number of wallets. Right? That's and the then thing. imagine behind that, you know, go, go for it. Like, That's the thing, you know, like a lot of this conversation and, and I've been quiet this week, just observing and sense checking, you know, where things are going. And, and I just wanted to sort of like take a stab as well at the end of the week, just to sort of like, you know, Look at the big picture. That's always that's always what I've been I've been very vocal uh, about, right? Like especially the the league I'm playing, which is I'm advising Fortune 500 brands, and I see and I have access to those rooms that a lot of people don't, right? Which which I'm very grateful for because I can see the long term picture as well, right? Because you see the biggest and largest organizations in the world thinking on how they will integrate this technology and those new mediums within their, their suite of products or, or their mix of offerings, right? So it's happening, all of them, right? No matter, if you look at the whole list, there might be 10 or 20 that are not looking to that because they aren't ready, but they, they are aware of it, right? So I look from that angle. And then from a consumer point of view, I look at also, you know, like, as you said, the, the graphic of wallets, right? So that's my, my only... Uh, you know, the only graphic I look to, like people like, oh, you've seen how much ETH has dropped today? Like, oh, I, I don't, right? Like I'm not like spending time, like refreshing my phone a hundred times a day, seeing whether ETH is 1.4, 1.3 or whatever, right? For me, what is interesting is seeing, zooming out and looking at that graphic specifically that displays, you know, from 2015 to today, how exponential the growth of one New wallets, especially for me in my case, because I pay attention more to that ecosystem, the fear, the fear network, but also the amount of smart contracts that have been deployed within, within that network, right? Those are two very important numbers. Why? Because for me, as soon as there is more wallets being created, there will be more demand. And if there is more demand, there's more capital, there's more interest from large organizations, from governments, from, uh, you know, from, from, from products or, or solutions being built within that ecosystem. And with demand and uh, offering, there will be growth, there will be revenue streams, right? And so on. And so the system will feed itself as long as there is more demand from the retail, retail users, right? People creating new wallets. So that's like a major like statement for me that, yeah, like just look at the graphics, literally going upwards exponentially. And I put two caveats to the post. One is I understand that this is just Ethereum, but if you look, you know, in any other network, you'll find similar graphics with more or less uh, spikes, but they are indeed going up. Um, and the second one is that I understand, like, I have like six or 10 different wallets, right? I'm sure you do too. And everybody that's within the space does, right? Different motives. But we cannot look at that and think that everybody's creating 100 wallets a day. 
right? So that's also not smart because those this growth comes every day in like you know you know in in four figures, five figures of new wallets being created, which which is huge, right? So that's kind of like the way I'm looking at that and 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 keeping sanity. Uh, because everybody's is, is questioning, especially the newcomers, right? There is a lot of memes that show like, oh, you know, you know that meme, the, the guy's about to be hanged and the, he looks at the side is like, first time? <laughs> like, that's exactly what it is, right? You've been around longer than I. I've been, I, I got in in 17, but back in 17, like right after the ICO bubble, I walked in and was like, oh, wow, this space is incredible. Let me, you know, put some money here, put some money there. And then Jan and Fabry of 18 happened and everything got like, done right and then from 18 to like the big bull run last year was just a flat straight curve right not even a curve like a line right so being able to look at those cycles from and zooming out and being able to look at how much this ecosystem has evolved from an adoption perspective is what makes me excited because that's what i think it matters right and, and again going back to the brands you know, if you, if we just try to like rewind what has happened within these last 11 months from major brands talking about NFTs, metaverse, blockchain, Web3, whatever, uh, just talking to being interested, three, adopting or building, four, investing. Like, you know, there are a bunch of companies now that have block, uh, cryptocurrencies on their blockchain, on their, their balance sheet, right? Also, there's a lot of major companies that are not necessarily looking to using blockchain technology on the back, but also looking in how they're going to use this technology at a consumer-facing level, right? Think about what Starbucks is doing, right? Like, it's a consumer-facing layer, which they don't talk about NFTs, they don't talk about blockchain, but it's clearly utilizing the technology, right? When you look at um, companies like Shell, for example, utilizing that technology for for you know sustainability renewable energy and proof of provenance for energy for example another huge use case of major com companies and, and and corporates utilizing that right so what i always try to to balance out is one the the sort of like the the overall financial system that cryptocurrencies bring alongside versus exactly what you just said blockchain web3 and all the other things that come alongside with that right it's one part of the puzzle is, is the same that you look at the overall economy right now from a macro perspective and say like, oh, euro is going down and losing its value against dollar, you know, like, or, or, or um, inflation is at like all time high in several different countries. That means that like the entire global economy is done and all companies in the world are going to go bankrupt and life is over. Like it's one to one, right? You look at cryptocurrency, the way it's behaving right now, um, and and you think that the whole the whole technology is that, right? And that's the that's the blind spot where a lot of people take in, especially newcomers, because it's hard to have perspective when you don't zoom out. We need that right now. And something that I've kind of come to realize lately is I, I look at blockchains as the launch pads for the next high growth tech stocks. And so if you compare layer ones or if if you compare the activity or the tokens based on layer two, layer twos or or dApps that have their own tokens. Um, the correlation between the performance of high growth tech stocks, whether those are AI businesses, software businesses, CRM businesses, and so on, uh, Tesla, Rivian, take your pick. Tesla's a bit of a, a kind of a special case in this, but you know, Rivian's probably comparable because they're early stage. Um, 
all of those stocks have followed more or less the same curve that, that we've seen in crypto for the last little while. Now, obviously, you've got, probably got a little bit more volatility in crypto. But generally speaking, the way that a market perceives the value or speculates on the future value of blockchains is the kind of the same way it does with tech stocks. And when you see a broader macroeconomic picture, people typically get out of tech stocks, which are volatile, risky, and are less spec less used, less successful in low economic productivity, mm. but come back later on. That's kind of what's happened here. And so if, if we think about treating or looking at Web3 as tech stocks, then it's a question of, are we seeing adoption? Are we seeing investment capital feeding into it? Are we seeing successful use cases being developed, both on the way it, I think it plays out a little bit more interestingly in Web3, because on the one hand, you've got the decentralized use cases, hmm. and then you've got the enterprise or the kind of B2B or traditional corporate use cases. So in, in Web3, you've got kind of DeFi, gaming, decentralized social media, kind of decentralized infrastructure, compute queries, data, data marketplaces. And then you've got all of the examples that you've described, right? So how is Web3 technology being used in automotive, in energy and resources? How, how are traditional corporations looking at platforms and, and thinking about using blockchains to be able to enable that? You listed off about six companies you're working with right now mm. who need your help and helping to figure that out. When I was working with Deloitte and IBM, I could see every day the number of calls, the number of messages, the number of emails I was getting, the number of projects that were being announced, the number of partnerships and collabos that were coming out. Those are the metrics to me of progress. 100%. How much code is how much code is being cut? How how and, and how much of that is open source and available to build on top of? Right? The good news over here in all the Web three stuff, most of this is open source. So if we see early failures, at least we can build on top of those, or someone else can pick up that code base and run with it. If a Microsoft or a Sony or a Starbucks fails with some of their token-based initiatives or some of their identity-based initiatives, if that fails, that proprietary code may not be as easy to pick up and run with and scale, which again, is not necessarily a bad thing, but you know, th th this, is, this is how we make progress. Yeah, I love that. And, and also like on top of that layer of, you know, how much code is being, is being created, how many wallets are being created, how many corporations are adopting it, how many, uh, you know, real successful use case are coming out of that. Another thing I'm always keeping an eye on is where the smart money is going, right? And, and by smart money, I'm not talking like the speculators. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, small, smaller, you know, VC investments. I'm talking about like the biggest investors in the world. I'm talking about a A16Z. I'm talking about BlackRock. I'm talking about like really big money, right? And where it is always headed, and you know, you've seen for sure graphics and numbers and and companies that are you know the largest and that at at the edge of technology like Samsung and Google and so on. Like the investment from those investment groups and major tech companies, a lot of it's going to Web3. Right, a lot of it's going to blockchain, and then if we look at our friends at Meta, the company literally, literally rebranded under the premises of, oh, this metaverse thing sounds interesting, so let's see, let's see how we play within that space, right? And they rebrand. I know that metaverse is not Web three necessarily, is not necessarily blockchain, is not necessarily cryptocurrency, is not necessarily NFTs, but as we evolve the internet. 
from Web 1 to Web 2 to Web 3 as we utilize blockchain technology as the backbone of that and as we evolve the, the interface of the internet with metaverse, for me, it's going to be a very hard sell for the long term that the metaverse will not be built entirely on top of blockchain and Web3, right? 100%. So looking at those trends is also really hard to deny that, you know, oh, everything's dead now. So, you know, let's pack and hope for a Web4. <laughs> I mean, I think it would be naive to assume that everything Web3 will always have to be decentralized or that we've proven this week that there, there are on-ramps, off-ramps or bridges between Web2 or the traditional banking system and Web3 or the cryptocurrency and decentralized finance world. People will be unlikely to only pay for their bills, their groceries in Bitcoin or Ethereum or Doge. There's going to be parallel systems, parallel economies that are going to need to cross over. I think the same is true of the metaverse. It's easy to dunk on Zuck by saying, right, you rebranded, you spent $10 billion, and you know, ironically, the amount that FTX lost. And, you know, and and look, you still haven't created this wonderful space that we're all using yet. And I, I think it's it's easy to say that that that's been a failure. Whereas in reality, I think it's very hard to gauge either because Meta hasn't done a particularly good job of communicating to us where these things are going to be used and or we don't know how far along their roadmap they are and mm. the fact that they are investing that they are making progress that you have you know a large organization that's demonstrating what the future might look like that they've kind of stepped out ahead of this i think is good rather that than everybody hiding in a corner and not doing anything and not yeah. being prepared to show their hand I think there's two very interesting aspects within that specific conversation of meta that one people that are are just like criticizing everything that's being doing or betting against or saying that it won't work or saying that it's already that are very short-sighted, right? They cannot forget that like web two, as we know, has been built by meta, by Google and by Amazon. Right, like those are one of the three major winners that one have built a lot of the ecosystem we currently utilize, and and Microsoft, by the way, obviously, and uh, and two, obviously, you know, have profited immensely from it. We can question whether the ways which was done was you know beneficial for the users or not. You can go on both avenues, right? But is unquestionable. So betting against a company that has the amount of information that they have, the amount of resources that they have, the amount of intelligence that they have, and the amount of like, you know, future vision that they have because what they've been doing is basically the internet as we know, it's it's very naive. You know, a lot of people are telling me, oh, what do you think about Meta? They're going to die. How long is this going to take for them to die? I was like, I wouldn't be so quick on that, right? They are they will adapt. They will They will get consumer feedback and change like that. Right. So I think that's the first the first thing. The second thing is we cannot forget that, you know, in the 2000s, we had a major dot com bubble where everyone was saying that the Internet was that. And a lot of money was lost and a lot of jobs were lost. And, you know, which came what what came out of that, that death of the Internet were you know, majority of the largest tech companies that exist in the world today. So I, I, love, I love looking at the past to predict the future, where majority of the people are looking at the present and trying to predict the future, right? 
So they're like, oh yeah, they just laid off 11,000 people. They just lost that 10 million that you just mentioned. It's done. Like the metaverse is dead. There is no point for it, right? And I'm like, well, if you understand that the metaverse is an evolution of a medium on how we connect and tell stories and uh, interact digitally as human beings, you understand that there is no way to that thing to be that. And you also will understand that there's no way to build that in, you know, in five, 10 years. It's going to be, you know, exponential evolution as well. It's going to be one brick after the other. And it's going to take time. Mm. The advantage well, for us that are early and are understanding the possibilities within the space is how do we position ourselves to win in 5, 10, 20 years from now? Because that's mm. where it's headed, right? So those are the things I'm always looking for, like the, the long-term aspect of things. Also, I think when when you, you, you don't just think of the metaverse as the user interface that Facebook or Meta creates for you to engage with, right? It's not avatars with no legs. The ability for a virtual, real-time, low-latency, persistent collaboration environment, right, let's call it that because that's that's what I think some of the requirements are for it. Yeah. For that to be successful, you have got the software, right? What are the environments in which we're engaging with? software typically will then have some sort of specific purpose towards it. So if you're talking about B2B or B2C, those will be materially different things. Yeah. If you're coming together with your friends to watch an Ariana Grande concert, that's very, very different from 10 Audi engineers from around the world in lockdown, creating a new vehicle remotely and on their, on the, on their desktop, right? You've got then hardware considerations. So People may need to have access to certain devices or may choose to access certain devices. Not everybody is going to spend $2,000 on an Oculus Rift or a Meta headset. So the success of the metaverse might depend on the rollout of interface devices. Broadband penetration is going to matter. Access to decentralized capabilities. If you want to make things persistent in the metaverse and not just sitting, you know, existing on a cloud server or you know, one and done, you turn up and you go away. There's going to be need some. You need to have some infrastructure behind it to manage that, and also a commercial model behind it potentially, which could be token based or could be pay as you go. Plenty yeah. of other things to to fit in there. All of these different capabilities need to coalesce together. It's not just the software that Zuck provides. And so, when we talk about metaverse failing, it's not because Zuck isn't doing his job. It's that actually for this to work properly, there are a number of different components that need to work together. And yeah. I think people also assume that all of the main use cases are going to be B2C or they're going to be, you know, use cases that we use as 100%. citizens, as friends in, totally. in our free time. And totally. that's, that's, I suspect the investment in the metaverse or technology that's going to be enabled in this immersive, co-creative, persistent space is going to come from businesses who have workforces or employees or want to bring multi multiple colleagues together. We've had you know, remote flight simulators for pilot training for mm. years and years and years. The mm. example I talked about with, you know, car manufacturers using Unity software, VR headsets, and specific software for, you know, rendering materials or Foley for the, the sound that vehicles make when you open and close doors. You know, that's been going on for the last two or three years in reality. But no one sees that as, you know, a relevant part of the metaverse for them because that's not their job. But the oh. industrial metaverse... I think has some some different potential, and we may see different use cases accelerate compared to, you know, legless avatars for hanging out with people on a Friday. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I would like to touch into three things. One is one is 
meta being the metaverse, right? So let's let's touch on that because I think it's important. The other one is exactly what I just said about the B two B two B opportunities. Uh, you know, for 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 education, for onboarding, for new ways of co-creation, for working on that space. And the third one would be, which is my favorite, which is education, right? So let's start with let's start with the meta stuff, right? So I love debunking two myths whenever I get to talk in front of people about the metaverse. One is, you know, I get at least five or six DMs a day of people that are building a metaverse. <laughs> and a lot of time I, I answer back and say, you're not building a metaverse, you're building a metaverse platform. When you create you an a website or you created an application, you, did, you didn't build the internet, right? It's, it's the same. So what I find interesting here is that obviously Meta is building a metaverse platform, one of thousands, if not millions that will exist, right? That's, that's always how I look at it. So will Meta own the metaverse? Definitely not. The metaverse is a is an umbrella overall concept, but could Meta be the largest platform within the metaverse? You know, chances to happen are greater than zero. So as they did on on Web two, right? So I think that's always the first thing to see, right? I I, I may make always a parallel between um, social media and and metaverse platforms, right? So there is needs for social media platforms like LinkedIn. Because that's how, where you want to work on, you want to connect, you want to network, and so on. There are needs for platforms, social media platforms like Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter. All of them have a different role. All of them have a different audience. And you as a user have a different identity within of them. And this is going to be one-to-one to the metaverse, right? So we will have those different platforms within the metaverse that will have different roles, and, and that's always the first thing I like debunking, right? And, and the second one is on the VR aspect of things, right? You're talking device, and I appreciate you haven't said VR because obviously you are as deep as I am in this space. And, and I see all the, the VR, you know, pushes that are happening. And I'm like, I, I might be extremely wrong, and I'm happy to sign that off in the future, and I, I'm happy to be called out. But... I don't believe VR is going to go as mainstream as majority of the people are thinking it will or a majority of the big techs are saying it will. And I give a very simple explanation on that. Mainstream for me is as mainstream as this thing went, right? Our phones. Like this is mainstream. We spend like 10, 12 hours online with that thing on our hands or our pockets every day, if not more time. And I don't think that putting a screen that covers our eyes and shuts us, shut us off from reality will be used 10 to 12 to 15 hours on a daily basis. Unless I'm extremely out of touch with humanity, right? That's kind of like how I'm looking at that. So that's kind of like one angle would like to also hear your point of view on, on, you know, meta and metaverse platforms. And also the the device that you imagine that will be the one that sort of like will, will enable the masses to be on a metaverse or, or, you know, utilize metaverse platforms. Yeah, platforms is is a really great title for this or a, a kind of a thematic area for this because I often refer to blockchains as platforms because as, as human beings, you take some of the bias out of it. You say, okay, platform is a place where um, technology and people come together to do stuff. And I, I like to remind people that there is one metaverse and that there are multiple platforms or multiple environments within it because I think that helps you to understand the importance of 
interconnectivity, interoperability, standards, um, the ability for these things to come together. Otherwise, all you're doing is you're creating software. If, if, you know, if, you, if you create a virtual environment for people to come together, drive go-karts and throw bananas at each other, you've created Mario Kart. Right? <laughs> if, if you could then take some of the content from that experience and then move it into a different place, then you may have created something that's a little bit more meta. Yeah. And so, so that's an important part of it. It's just by creating something where you can get together and do something virtually doesn't mean you've created a metaverse platform. Yeah. Like we, can't, we can't just turn around and suddenly rebrand all the computer games we've been playing since our youth. As Thank metaverse. you. Thank you. When we were playing Tomb Raider back in the 2000s, you know, and doing backflips and opening doors and, you know, and capturing treasure and trying to fight off leopards, we were not in the metaverse. We were playing computer games. Exactly. Right? And when you switch off the PC, maybe your progress gets tracked, but that is still a walled garden of activity that relates to that particular game. Yeah. If you're not offering something that allows the user to, 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 to do something with the assets, the content, their vote, the collaboration that's happened in that space that can go beyond, I don't think you're truly creating a metaverse platform. You may be creating a co-creation space or you yeah. may be creating a game, but I think there's an important distinction there. I love that. I love that. And a lot of times that I hear like, oh, we we want to enter the metaverse. So we're looking into Fortnite. Oh, we want to be, you know, in the metaverse. We're looking at Roblox. Oh, we want to be in the metaverse. And we're looking at, you know, GTA, right? I'm like, those are gaming platforms, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and if you look at their business descriptions and the way they position themselves so far, they, they are gaming environments, right? And if you ask the 250 million users that are using Roblox on a monthly basis what they are doing, they'll tell we're playing games. They won't tell we are in the metaverse. Like they won't. I've asked hundreds of people that play all those three platforms I mentioned. None of them told me they're in the metaverse. Right? Super important distinction. And um, you know, I've been I've been in in closed door conversations with um, a the largest uh, awards giving let's put like that um you know a group in the world that awards creativity in this space which you know I, I can't disclose much but the conversations we were having is exactly the same we cannot give gaming and the metaverse the same uh you know attention or or or, or analyze the creativity around those um oh those those sort of like um industries the same way we need to be respectful with gamers, first of all, but also with the gaming industry that has been around for a long time and is a major industry. And it's not just because we found this shiny thing in the corner that's called Metaverse that we're going to rebrand everything and call everything Metaverse. Because it isn't fair. Like, we're just getting started with this whole thing, right? So we need to be really mindful of that. And that's the role I try to play when I'm talking to big brands because they're the ones that are making people more confused or less confused based on the messages they put out, Right. And, and, and saying that you're in the metaverse just because you now you're doing a game, gaming activation that your agency has been pushing forever, but you, ju you just didn't bother doing before because gaming isn't cool. But now the metaverse is cool and they, they changed the first slide from gaming to metaverse and now you want to pay 100 million for, for that. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, you can, you can, you can use that for PR, but it's gonna, it won't stick. You know, you won't have people accessing that and saying they weren't in the metaverse. Like it's, it's, it's a whole different game. Yeah, I love that you brought gaming as an example because this is something personally I've been studying for at least the six months I've been a gamer since 
you know, I had a PC and, you know, hack, hack, I, I, I actually programmed a game once on a BBC computer way back in the day. I think I was seven years old. I actually managed to make a tank game by following coding instructions. It's, that was when I became a coder, when I was seven years old. Um, awesome. But the, the, the gaming analogy here is an important one because you, you've got closed, closed games that have their own game economies, that have their own V-Bucks or FIFA points or whatever else you pay for. And that is not a metaverse. Right? That is a mm -hmm. closed loop game where the game developer will allow you to pay for content. You are seeing, or you have seen over the last couple of years, the emerging domain of you know, play to earn or then play to own or move to earn. You know, the, the concept of ownership of assets that people could then do something with is an interesting one. And that's starting to get more towards the metaverse concept. But then a lot of the early stage games they will issue tokens to your wallet, but you can only sell them on a closed marketplace exactly. that is specific to that game. You have, you have done literally nothing else except for now require about nine different steps of a user journey for somebody to create a crypto wallet, buy some, buy some crypto or you know, you know, swap some fiat for crypto, then buy those tokens and then have to manage the user experience of those tokens in a wallet they didn't want in, 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 an, um, in a complex marketplace that they probably can't be bothered to understand. You have delivered nothing in the grand scheme of progressing gaming or the metaverse in that particular concept. The ownership of that asset, the ability to trade it on a secondary market is a mechanism for a game developer or a game publisher to capture secondary market revenue share as opposed to selling V-Bucks and stuff up front, 100%. which is interesting for them. But for the gamer or for the consumer, you haven't really pushed things forward. Yeah. So a lot of what I've been spending my time when talking to game, gaming companies or speaking to guys who are building SDKs or, or capability is, what is it that we're actually developing here? Are we creating genuine interoperability between games? Are you seeing skins or assets or tokens being accepted in different games? If you look at Moonsama in the Polkadot ecosystem, you've got this wonderful mix of resources coming out of Minecraft that are being combined, that are then turning into fish that are being used in a separate game, which can then you know, come back and return loot, which can be used in a third game. The NFTs that exist on uh, Moonbeam, Moonriver, and on Ethereum can be ported into a bridge to then enable buffs when you go and play those games. And those NFTs can be traded you know, between parties if people start feeling they want to level up in the game. Or the more NFTs you own, the more um, buffs you get to your character if you start mm. feeling like you want to get a bit more competitive or you want to progress. Or These, these are, to gamers, relevant utility function and i think you're right to call out that if we're just adding nfts to games we're not building a metaverse and also we're not necessarily helping gamers either oh there was a lot time. of pushback to ubisoft on courts around well this is just progressing the play to the pay to win meta yeah. because people who've got more money can come in capital talks if you buy the best nfts the game developers are making it harder for guys who are just grinding to succeed and totally. i don't think anybody wants to see that totally and when i first got into into that space you know, I, I was like, gamers, I will talk to all gamers because they might have been in NFTs forever because the concept of buying a digital asset, it's it's so native to gamers that I thought that they will be already like, you know, hardcore NFT hats. And then I started I start talking to a lot of gamers. They're like, no, like NFT sucks, man. Like that doesn't make sense. Like this whole play to earn is bullshit. And I was like, wow, what I'm missing here, right? I, I was in, entirely, entirely wrong thinking that they would be super bullish on it. And then I started digging deeper and then I realized that, you know, all the, 
the Ponzi play to earn and all of that 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 have surged by by the the last bull run. You know, the the most important thing that a game has to do is to be fun. And majority of the experience within all those plate war and games are literally like that, uh, you know, meme that we've seen all over the internet this week of the the, the elderly people sitting in the casino and just pressing the button, you know, like, tuk, 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 and, and that's what plate war is, right? Like, and and then the the thing clicked to me. I was like, holy shit, right? Like, the you you adding the layer of money or 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 rewards on exchange of the layer of being fun and engaging and creating community that just want to play the game mm. and and you know like i see one the major upside for that industry but also how early and how misused majority of the platforms that have been built with this new technology have done that within the last let's say one or one and a half year right i'm not like saying all of them are bad but mainstream majority of the stuff you see like it's it's really difficult to understand yeah it's really it's really easy to understand why gamers would hate on nft so much yeah and again let's not dunk on web3 and gaming too early because i totally. genuinely do see signs of progress the first things we usually build are the simplest and they may not be the most successful right we've yeah. proven a few concepts we've demonstrated that token economics and game economics are complex bedfellows We've demonstrated that Ponzinomic token models are unsustainable. Well done. But the code and the games and the mechanics and the engines that sit behind some of these games aren't open source now. They're reusable. Huge. And we can use that and build on top, right? So giving people tokens without utility, not a good thing. Creating a token economy without, a commercial, without commercial value, not great. So back to the drawing board and the next evolution of these things, I think, are only going to get better. Because there has been, I think, about $9 billion of investment in Web3 gaming alone this year. We're probably going to exit the year with between, I don't know, $10 and $12 billion worth of investment. Yeah, That doesn't go nowhere unless you're FTX. Um, we, we've, we've, we've covered the future of Web3. Yeah. We've covered NFTs, what they are and what they aren't. We've covered the metaverse. And we've even started dipping into gaming all of which I think are topics we're going to spend a bit more time on when we, when we do the next versions of these shows, when we bring people together to talk with us about what they see. I want to open it up to the audience for a little bit because guys have been piling in the comments, yeah. piling in the GMs, talking through you know, different, different points, where they are, what they see. I think there's even been kind of mini conversations, which I think Mauricio Magaldi has been moderating for everybody in, in the comments here. I've been kind of seeing him popping up here and there, which is awesome. So guys, this is the Q&A round. We promised there would be bottomless Q&A and there will be. So yeah. um, We just got too excited, do. right? <laughs> I know, right? We just, just started talking about, this is, this is what happens when we, when we get together at each other's houses. This is, this is how it usually goes. We That's should probably exactly just do that next time. We'll set up a camera. We'll have a couple of beers or a bottle of wine, and we'll just do live sessions between you and I in the garden in Portugal, talking crap about Web3. <laughs> so guys, questions. If you want us to expand on anything you've heard today, if you want us to double down on anything, or if you have a specific question to us about what's happened this week, our view on different things, you know, we, we you know, full disclosure, this will not be investment advice. Always do your own research. This may not even be particularly well-informed advice. It will be what we come up with or what we think of based on our experience. But any questions you guys have, please put them in the comments now. I'm going to start rolling through and start seeing 
do we have a first question? We have Eric jumped in and said, we want to hear your thoughts on the con contagion in inverted commas, how different actors are exploiting the FTX fiasco. I feel like we've probably done that one well enough now. If you haven't read over the last couple of days, um, I've been putting out a, a poll, sorry, a couple of posts specifically on what are some of the implications or what could we see happen next? Nobody knows, right? And it's not within our control, um, but I've had a couple of thoughts on you know, what do we think is going to happen to the broader market? What's going to happen to FTX? What's going to happen to Binance? What's going to happen to people's people's tokens? What? How are other layer ones going to play into this? What does it mean for Binance? You know, are we going to see not your keys, not your coins become Christmas number one? Um, if Ledger had a token, I'd be buying a lot of that right now. Not investment advice. Do your own research. Um, <laughs> you know, so so lots going on. So Eric, thank you very much for that. Uh, let's keep going now. What's up, party people? I don't think that's a question. That's more of a shout out from Liam. So I appreciate that, dude. Good to see you here. Um, let's keep going down. This is a good one. If I can bring this up on screen. So anonymous LinkedIn user, love pseudonymy. How, so how would NFTs scale? I'm going to take that exactly as broad as it is. And I'm going to let you, Diego, if you feel like having a first, a first response to that. I and mean, how do we, how do we either see NFT scaling in the world, or what are going to be the use cases for NFT scaling? Do you want to have a crack at that one while I go and find some more? Yeah, no, totally. Uh, it's it's a broad one, and and I love it, and I know I can rent um, on it for hours. But in a simple way, the way the way I think that it, it's going to scale is is by three things. One is we stop talking about the technology and we put everything on the on the on the back seat right like every day i wake up press a switch that then turns on the light and i have no fucking clue how electricity works right that's that's where we need to get with this technology to bring it mainstream we need to stop talking about the technology we need to stop trying to onboard people we need to stop trying to to explain the whole madness and put that under the hood Right, so as soon as we start getting to that direction, which is going to take time, uh, I think that will be a way for this to scale. The second one is as soon as we we pass and and the market shows more and more that we pass the Ponzi time, now it's time to understand how we create real life use case that uh, you know can really impact positively the world in either solving problems or uh, you know helping. Uh, to support uh, needs that go beyond making money, right? So solving problems, for example, look at, again, what Starbucks is doing or, you know, looking to uh, making consumers' um, experience easier, uh, frictionless, uh, and all of that, find super interesting from a, from a use case perspective. And the third thing, it's going to be on user experience, right? So how do we make this easier? How do we make it safer? How do we make it more welcoming, for, for the people that will be interacting with this and don't even know what it's about, right? So that's kind of like where I think there's three steps that will be fundamental to help that adoption and, and scaling, which are embedded on the, on the sort of like on the, uh, you know, the cornerstones of the, the, the current moment we are within the technology. And there's a ginormous amount of work to, to do within each of the three. But I think that that's the way we're going to go more and more closer to, to adoption and, and, and scale. Love that. I, I'm not going to build on that, save to say no technology has a right to scaling or no technology has a right to adoption. Let's, you know, let's, let's take NFTs as what they are. They are unique tokens that represent ownership of something or proof that something has happened or a digital record that is linked to your wallet. 
You can keep that. You can hold that. You can trade that. You can have different machines, transact them back and forth. Those are technology capabilities that you can apply to different use cases. If a decentralized architecture with tokens that can be transferred instantly, that can be tracked and, and, and observed in a transparent way that no individual organization has control over, that can move financial value or can represent stock, commodities, identity of an individual. If those things can be brought together with a decentralized architecture in an open platform in a way that creates commercial value or we can do the jobs that we've been always trying to do as companies or citizens in a way that's better than what we build now, it will scale. If it doesn't, and if it's purely based on hype and a lack of utility, it will not. And yeah. that is that's the crucial question in any technology, in any use case, in any application. 100%. I love making the parallel as well with mobile applications back in the day, right? Because my first app on my phone was an app that was a digital lighter. I don't know if you remember that. So basically you would tap on it and then the lighter <laughs> would pop and it would become a flame. And again, if you want to predict the future by looking at the present, back then I was like, why in the world would I pay, you know, a grand or 800 bucks or 700 bucks for a, for a, for a, for a smartphone that apart from making calls and receiving messages as I already do anyway with my, you know, uh, phone with, with uh, you know, the, the one that you, you, I don't know the name of that, the analog phone, let's call it. Why would I want it to go to a, for a smartphone when the smartest thing it does is, is having a digital flame, right? But that's the point. That was the first thing that was created within that environment. And for me, the whole cartoon wave we had, uh, which I still bullish in a lot of them, by the way, I don't think they're all bad. Don't be naive mm. if you think so, because I mean, there's some serious, serious money that were, that were invested and, in, and, in, and, in, and, in, uh, you know, raised by a lot of really serious companies that will be building on those IPs, but a lot of them were junk. Right. But that's the first sort of like the first use case. That's the, the digital lighter on your smartphone that was done with NFTs as the first tests, right? But look where phones are right now. Look how much that has impacted on our lives. You know, I don't want to say that NFTs will have the same impact as mobile phones and applications had. I don't know. I'm bullish on it and I'm biased, but I wouldn't be, you know, so so quick in, in, in taking calls and saying that, you know, now that the cartoons are down, uh, the technology is dead. I the people will still have interest in digital collectibles. Reddit will have an implication, you know, a significant impact on how people experience that. And people will still want to flex and there will still be FOMO. And these are human emotions that we can monetize or that people, I don't know if I would be monetizing, but that people do monetize. We've got another question here, another anonymous user. I love this, the anonymity that's here. It's very Web3. I, I appreciate it. Um, let's go for a quick response on this one so we can jump through a few more questions. Um, how are companies planning to use blockchain? Maybe pick a couple of examples of stuff that maybe you're working on or a couple of examples of maybe non-confidential use cases around NFTs, metaverse, blockchain that, that, that you're working on from your experience. Yeah, um, I'll keep it broad to don't put anyone on spot. Um, what I'm seeing right now is patterns within all rooms I am at. First is, is uh, membership 3.0. How do we evolve membership and loyalty programs by bringing it on chain and using NFTs as a consumer facing layer to make it easier for people to interact with it? One. Second one, metaverse. Brands are really big looking into entertainment, immersive experience and, and, and fashion, especially digital fashion, where 
if you understand that the way you dress up and the way you behave is deeply embedded on your subconscious because that's the way you want to be perceived by society around you, that you belong to a certain tribe or that you are by a certain way, that behavior is going to be one-on-one in the metaverse. And by doing so, that sort of like environment or, or sector or, or industry is going to be gigantic, right? A lot of predictions mm-hmm. are saying that we're going to own more in value in digital assets compared to what we own in value to physical assets when it comes to digital clothes, when it comes to fashion, for example. So huge use case on there, right? And then the third thing is, yes, a lot of it is already being done in, 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 in the back, in the hood, right? Or in the, in the back seat where, you know, I, I mentioned Shell before, like Shell has a team of a big blockchain team that has been working on blockchain sh- solutions for like six years, right? Like, I mean, you've been working, uh, you know, at the law, as you mentioned before, like long ago, on that side of things as well. Like what people were not a lot of times understanding or seeing is that major corporations have been using blockchain on not consumer facing or not directly consumer facing uh, solutions, meaning the consumer doesn't understand or doesn't know they're interacting with blockchain for years, for years. And, uh, you know, so that's as an obvious one that now is scaling and they're start to bring that technology a bit more uh, in front of in front of the people. Nice. And that's a nice segue into a question we got from Angelo here, which is what, in your opinion, are the biggest problems that brands can solve with Web3 technology? Um, And I'm going to have a bit of a punt at the start of this one to give you some time to have a a sip of water or a sip of tea and and let me come back to let me come back on this one, because the the technology capabilities that Web3 or tokens provide are quite specific in how they can be applied. Right. So you've got data platforms that are decentralized, no one owns them. You have applications that are unstoppable, that are persistent, that can run you know, on those blockchains without interference. They will run for as long as there's money to be able to support them or there's data being fed into them. Right? And then you have the ability to create digital assets, tokens, collectibles that can be owned, traded and, and held by individuals separate and again in a persistent way separate to what could exist in a game or in a CRM system or in a cloud database. Those are still very, very specific problems. So in a B2B sense, a lot of, a lot of what's being looked at is data aggregation. So how in a supply chain context or in a production context or in an energy generation context, can information from those multiple parties be committed in real time in a way that either nobody gets a, a disproportionate share of the information Um, So think of that in terms of uh, carbon footprint tracing or the ability to prove that a number of parties have moved kilowatts of renewable energy and that Mm. you haven't seen any double counting or Mm. any unfair usage. The second information is held on a server and reported manually, it then could be subject to uh, some form of manipulation or change. So in in a B2B context, that... You know, in a B2C context, I think it's more in the area of decorporatizing. Again, so the, the ownership or the interoperability of things that you get given as a customer can then be owned by you, held by you, can be persistent, can be built on top of. So those could be fashion items. Those could be loyalty points. The ability to settle or reconcile between multiple parties. Early on, we saw airlines uh, being able to have air, you know, air miles between multiple airlines sit on 
a shared a shared ledger because the settlement and reconciliation of those things going back and forth monthly over email and and being able to tally up certain balances and so on and you know, customers tra you know trading flights changing flights refunding flights and so on the constant change and flux in in those in those consumer worlds is really difficult and so the, the settlement and reconciliation behind that yeah. the automation that sits behind that's important and then kind of finally I think this is interesting because the poll that I put out last week is what's been the most disappointing technology in the last five years. Internet of Things came up as the top. We've been promised that machines are going to do things for us. Our cars are going to be doing certain things, this, that, and the other. And honestly speaking, we haven't seen it yet. But the ability for machines with wallets to share information, to transact, and to earn value. Huge. Te Teslas can mine crypto if you plug in the right devices. Huge. The sensors on certain vehicles or drones or whatever else can can commit data that can be monetized because somebody else wants to know the temperature or the weather or you know the number of potholes on a particular road in a certain place. If we can link up those you know capture devices with data sharing with some sort of financial return, and we don't want to, we don't want to be paying two dollars a go every time we send some money to somebody, or we, mm. we don't want to be doing it through a banking system that could take two or three days cross border or whatever else it is. We'd like to be able to do that differently. So sitting underneath that, the ability to do micropayments in a low cost, borderless way without using Visa or MasterCard or without identifying somebody who doesn't want to be identified and, and creating a KYC or a privacy challenge. There's a whole bunch of other things there. And I haven't even touched on um, digital identity and credentials yet. Totally. There is, there is uh, one thing I would add I to all of that, that, not that you missed, but I think it plays a major role, is smart contracts. Right, because the beauty of all what he just said is that that can all, if needed, be self-executable. If this, then that. If this, then that. And funds can go left and right without nobody having to input anything. Especially when you talk about IoT, and you talked about cars as well, which I'm absolutely passionate about the automotive automotive industry and the possibilities within it as we move towards, uh, you know, autonomous driving and and electrified vehicles is how does a car interact with the external world in a seamless manner, in a frictionless manner, without you having to input anything? And it just does its thing from a transactional point of view, right? From an information point of view. And what I'm excited there is the smart contract you know, solution that can be applied where you pass in a certain toll, the car has a wallet that pays the toll. You, char you have a charging station that you need to, to be paid for, the car pays automatically to that. You have an insurance that you pay per mile instead of per month, the car does that automatically, right? Like the, the possibilities within that space, which is a little bit more blue sky, I understand, but the possibilities that can be solved through this technology now that weren't necessarily possible to do in a frictionless manner as it is right now is, is quite exciting. I hear you. That's a, a really good build. And again, the internet of things, smart things talking to each other and so on and having settlement layers underneath them is still one of the hardest use cases. I mean, in the automotive industry alone, antitrust makes it very, very hard for these large manufacturers to work together. Um, but again, there's, plen there's plenty of value in, in creating that or having the terabytes of data be available for monetization from people who would like that data but currently don't have access to it. Yeah. Maria has come in with a great question here. This, this, this feels like kind of our personal mission in general anyway, but how can we make Web3 more approachable to everyone? 
Yeah, I think I think that that's exactly what I just said. You know, is is, is having open conversations and 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 showing what we have seen instead of trying to convince and positioning positioning you know ourselves if you want, if you want to keep that within the two of us in a manner that we know things because we've experienced it and we've done, but we are far from knowing all of it. We are far from understanding all of it. We are far from being experts. Like we are in like early nineties right now and we will be pretending to know what this whole internet is going to be about. And we are like in 2022 right now, we still don't know what the internet is about. Right. So I think that that type of mentality and being humble enough to acknowledge that nobody knows what the fuck's going on is important as a first way to make it more approachable because then people are going to feel like, Oh, if nobody knows what's going on, maybe I can take a stab on that. Right. Which is really important for creating uh, you know, a community that is, uh, you know, is welcoming and, and, and a safe space for people to take place on and to have conversations and to learn and to exchange and to build. So I think that that is from a mentality perspective. I think from a, from a mass adoption perspective is the same thing I said before, is taking the, the, the technological, technological layers out of it, taking the user experience, you know, to a next level and, uh, you know, f- creating and and, and developing and designing use cases that impact people's life positively and make people's life easier, uh, you know, apart from just the Ponzi stuff that has happened uh, over and over in a lot of segments, especially if you're not into the space, especially if you're following just the, the mainstream media. Uh, because if you do so, then you look at the space and you think everybody's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, there is there is a certain level of bias. I think also <clears throat> putting a pink hat on it makes it more approachable in general. So shout it definitely does so- softening the, vi- the the visuals as well. Um, <laughs> this is this is a nice one. So shout to Sharad, guys. Is Twitter going to embrace Web three? Now th- this one's got some color to it because Twitter obviously is an entity, but Twitter has recently been acquired by Mr. Elon Musk hmm. for forty four billion dollars, and Elon, as we know, has dabbled in the sphere of web3 he's been a, a an amused advocate of dogecoin he also has a payments background right so he one of one of his earlier successes was around paypal so his understanding of the ability to disrupt or disintermediate banks is is significant and and if you take that to the far extreme might we see um, web3 based payment solutions we've talked We've already seen you know, Meta and others in integrating NFTs into their you know, hmm. um, validation process, which to me is a land grab for um, people's wallet data. Don't don't think it's not. What's your totally. take on this? Do you, do you see Twitter being an, a Web3 advocate? Do you see there being use cases for Web3 technology in what Twitter does today? Before I answer that, I just want to build on what exactly what you just said, because a lot of people are not paying attention to that, right? <laughs> <laughs> like a lot as soon as you connect or as soon as you interact with your wallet with a platform like you mentioned on the big tech side of things you were disclosing all your information a lot of times you are consenting to a lot of things that you're not even reading when you're just signing the text right as soon as you you accept that transactional at that transaction, there's a lot of things that you should be taking care of because, again, there are consent mechanisms that are being put in smart contracts that as soon as you go through that, there is also a consent aspect that may allow them to dig in your data, may allow them to retarget you, may allow them to uh, collect data from you. So 
Web 2.5 is where we are at as soon as you start connecting and going that direction. So I think it's a very important call out you made. And I just wanted to, to you know, amplify on that message. On Twitter, per se, uh, I wouldn't say that if they are going to embrace or not. I mean, they've, they've embraced already, right? When you look at the, the they were the first ones to move into to enable uh, PFPs to be certified on chain. Like they, they were the first ones to do it, right? Um, if by embrace you mean they will move entirely towards that direction and start taking Dogecoin as a payment method and making you know easier for people to to uh, interact, like I don't know, man. Like Elon, Elon has has a lot of interesting thoughts. You know, I know it's a hot topic. I don't want to go too much into it because we're gonna spend under half an hour just talking about it, pros and cons and all that juice. But I'll keep a close eye, you know, I'll, I'll see, I'll see a lot of movements uh, and maybe not just like calling it Web3, but a lot of things that will go towards the Web3 community, right? He, he, he's already looking and talking about rewarding creators, right? What is the best way to do that? If not through, through this new, through this new creator economy that we're building with Web3, right? Um, you know, I don't know, like social is looking very strong on that direction. They need to catch up because they know if they don't, uh, you know, the next cycle will come and the next like, Meta 2.0, 3.0, whatever, uh, will end up being born natively and might take over some of the features that they cannot copy and paste as they've been doing, right? So Reddit is a great use case. You know, they went there and embraced parts of it and, and they're doubling down. Uh, Instagram has done the same. Uh, so, you know, it, it's happening slowly but surely. And I think that it will be an evolution. I tend to say as well, we need to stop thinking as Web 2 versus Web 3 or that Web 3 is going to kill Web 2. It's just an evolution. Is, is 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 you know is a is a stack of technology putting on top of each other to enhance certain things, right? User experience or make it easier or add new technology that didn't exist before, but now they do and they make things better. Like that's what it is. And web four is gonna come, web five is gonna come. So don't make it a tool of web three because you know, like soon this thing's gonna evolve as well. And it's <laughs> it's just very important to like have that mentality. So it's not that uh, Facebook's gonna die. And then a new Facebook in Web3 is going to be born. I mean, those things are going to be, you know, incremental evolution. I, I hear you. And, you know, ultimately, Twitter is still a centralized, um, you know, publicly listed company. So it is still going yeah. to behave like a centralized entity. But if it can make benefits through using micropayments or through encrypt using cryptocurrency rails instead of using other, other payment methods, if you, it's going to create a tipping culture that's based on crypto with, within its platform, or if it wants to move with the times of how young people or people who use social media are spending their time digitally, they will integrate that because yeah. those will be use cases or features that, that people value. Yeah. Um, shout, shout to Laura coming in with the, the future Christmas number one, not your keys, not your coins. I, I'm not going to sing it back. I haven't, <laughs> the I haven't figured out the melody for this one yet, but it's coming. It's, it's coming. coming. Mi Mixtape coming out soon in time for Christmas. Um, sponsored by Ledger. If, if Ledger want to sponsor us on that, that'd be amazing. Shout um, out to Jan. Shout out. Shout out. Um, here's a great question from Jennifer. Who are the main user experience leaders in Web3? Maybe, maybe let's pick one each. Like if, if you think about who is delivering a great user experience. Right? So one where you know, we're obfuscating some of the complexity or, you know, actually, when, when we go in to use those particular propositions, which ones do you love at the moment? Hard one, man. A lot of people ask me, like, who is the C? If, 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 if Web3 would have a CMO, who would that be? 
And I'm like, well, the CMO we've got is Vitalik, the most technical guy you could ever imagine. And he's out there trying to sell this thing. And we're like, bro, like we're going to need to make it easier. We need to rebrand the whole thing, right? Uh, and I think the same goes to user experience. It's, it's hard. It's hard. Uh, you know, like I, I would struggle to to pick one. And, and a lot of the ones I might pick is might be like a, a hybrid, a 2.5 type of version. Uh, you know, the, the native pr projects or the native uh, you know, protocols, if you will, or, or even like DAX or, or DeFi, I think they're in a much better place. Uh, you know, you look at like Uniswap and, and you know, they're obviously the well-established ones. They, like that's super easy, super clean. It's like Google, you know, you enter, there's like one thing that you need to do, nothing else, super clean, very, very clear what it does and how you go about doing it. Um, I don't know. I think like on DeFi, you find a lot of like great user experience already. But everything else is, is is a hard pick. It's very hard pick. Yeah, there's definitely some some DeFi protocols or some game gaming experiences that are very deliberately complicated because they are they are for engineers or they are aimed at um, you know, mildly autistic day traders who think in a certain way or who like data represented in a certain way. You know, a lot of the feedback I give to guys who are building wallets is make this visual. Take, take away the crypto complexity, present this like you would a bank account, right? Because that's kind of what it is. Try yeah. and create some, some banners or some pop-ups or some experience in here where you can publish content that will allow people to see what's next, right? Revolut did a, did a really interesting job with integrating crypto into both their business Amazing. and um, personal bank accounts because Revolut is a UX-focused banking organization. 100%. Whereas what you said is a lot of the Web3 engineering, Web3 organizations are engineering-led first and then apply UX later because they'd rather get a minimum viable product out. And, yeah. and we're okay for now. I think I was talking to a project yesterday. You, you met the same guys or, or we were, we were um, in the company of the same guys at, at the party where I met Joao, my, my new mm. surf instructor. Um, and we we're talking with them yesterday. They have, they have an intent to, to become an aggregator of different experiences in Web3 for the exact challenge that I think Jennifer's presenting here is you've got, um, you've got exchanges, you've got yield farming or looking to invest your tokens, you've got staking, you've got NFTs, digital assets, you've got the ability to create your own content, manage your own data, credentials, wallets. There is a role for a kind of booking.com experience that sits over mm. the top of these things. I'm not going to say anything more than that, but the the aggregator, um, the aggregator phase of Web3 hasn't even really kicked in yet. We're still looking at individual propositions with their own, you know, unique approach to UX. And so I, I can see in the next one to two years, people who will allow you to connect one or multiple wallets and, and focus on creating a great experience that, that's got logical flows that easily shows you choices of what, what thing am I trying to do today? Am I trying to make money? Am I trying to go shopping? Am I trying to you know, plan ahead? Am I trying to, to manage my reporting and tax? Hmm. Right? Trying to create a unified experience for that is going to like be Like a we, we, WeChat 3.0. Kind of, you know, and if, if, if somebody in Web3 doesn't build it, Elon might. Um, so let's do another quick fire round. Shout, shout to Brandon here, question from him. What challenges do you have when working with enterprise brands around Web3 initiatives? You can pick what challenge, what challenge they don't have. <laughs> <laughs> you oh, know? come on, it can't be that bad. No, it's not that it's bad. It's because we are early. 
You know, like mm. the, the, the biggest challenge are one education, right? Very few people within large organizations know what's happening or understand what's happening, right? Uh, because, because, you know, it, it, it's very recent, especially when it comes to like NFTs and metaverse, which is my alley, right? The second aspect is how do you, how do you get buy-in internally from legal, corporate, treasury, and all of that to start looking to trading a volatile asset and potentially bringing that into your balance sheet? Have fun with that conversation. How do you how do you trade or how do you sell a digital asset at global scale when there are countries around the world that ban those assets? Example, China. How do you how do you avoid that people in China are buying NFTs when China when, when NFTs are banned in China, for example? Or how do you avoid that certain digital assets are being bought by countries where the country that that company, for example, is from has current sanctions, economical sanctions against that other country, for example. How do you go about changing the mindset of a company that's, let's say, sometimes 100 years old, that this is a new entirety space that needs to be treated differently? And it's not just another marketing channel that you can push product and show product through new consumers' throats, right? So how do you go on that mentality? How do you, how do you help them see what you have seen by being natively to the, native to the space in a simple manner that still makes sense to them. How do you go about showing the potential use case and business case for five, 10 years from now that they need to invest now because otherwise they're going to be too late to the game like they were late for the, web, for the internet or e-commerce that they were late for social and maybe they haven't learned yet that they need to test already to be at the front, forefront of everything, right? How do you go about looking into advising them to set up separate entities that can one still belonging to the group but two can run the show quicker faster take risks and deal with like all the crypto madness on the side without putting the corporation at risk because of the rise will be impossible for you to do anything fast within the space in a space that moves extremely extremely quick how do you go about showing the new cultural elements of it uh, and, and displaying then that, yes, there is a new way for co-creation. Yes, there is a new way to, uh, you know, enter new markets, to, to engage with new uh, communities, to find new users within, within that space, right? So all of that would be, you know, bucket under the education layer, if you will, which, which is where we are at. But at the same time, and the upside of why I do what I do is, Doors were never that open and people were never that hungry for change and interested in making things differently, right? Mm -hmm. I've never experienced that in my life, in my whole career. And that's what's really exciting. And my personal uh, motive on why I do what I do is because if we help the biggest companies in the world do it right and have the right mentality from get to go, that's how we are able to start slowly but surely shaping the mentality of the, no, the new so-called internet, right? That hopefully is going to be better than what Web 1 and Web 2 were and put us in a nice track to Web 4, 5, 6, 7, Web 69, and so on. So, you know, that's kind of like where, where I think we're at and that's why I do what I do. Love that. And that almost feels like the perfect way to end the show. Like I, I, I can't not, because I am who I am, add a couple on the end there because you triggered a couple of deep PTSD memories of enterprise blockchain consulting from my Deloitte and, and IBM days. 
I, I agree with all of the things like the, the digital transformation behind what's required to manage digital assets and tax reporting and stuff. That's just, that's just a necessary evil, unfortunately. And if that mm. doesn't fit in the business case, right, you, you describe it, right? If the commercial case doesn't stack up to include any internal transformation that needs to happen, you already haven't thought big enough. Totally. Right? So, so, so the one I think that was most prominent and most painful for me was bias. Mm. Is that when, when you mention blockchain or web three or crypto whoever you're talking to now because we're you know 2009 to now or in reality probably four or five years worth of real appropriate consideration of web three or decentralized technologies you you get bias you get somebody who comes in so oh yeah blockchain yeah we did a proof of concept five years ago it's 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 dead to me yeah. it's no use it failed i yeah. said well, well well why did it fail and, and you go back to, well, you know, it wasn't a good fit for what we were doing. Yeah. So, okay. Did you look at anything else? Did you consider any other applications? Have you considered how the technology or the applications may have changed? Were you looking at private chains or public chains? You know, did you work with any sort of SDK or API provider? Did you, did you, be, did, were you able to consume any of it as software as a service? Or were you trying to build it all yourself with no blockchain devs? Hmm. All of this has gone past, but the second somebody's been burned or, you know, they went through a project and you know, one of the management boards said, oh, this is disgraceful. Why the hell have you done this? All of a sudden then, you know, the, the shutters come down. Innovation is stopped. Blockchain is dead to me. We're going to move straight on to quantum and see if that's any good. Like, <laughs> if, that's, if that's how we manage exploration of new opportunities and future technology around here, get me out and get me into Web3 where people are constantly challenging testing refining failing and moving on uh, yeah because there are just some environments that just aren't made for it yeah 100 man and on that note we were going to do an hour we've actually done an hour and a half so thank you so much for those who stuck with us thank you so much for all the questions in the comments there are more for anybody who's watching this back please don't forget shout shout out give us your gms in the comments let us know where you're from let us know what you'd like us to do next exactly right? this is this is a space for for you guys and us to talk about web3 to talk about the metaverse to talk about nfts to talk about the technology to talk about culture to bring guests along if you'd like let us know who you'd like us to have on the show either in the comments or in dms and whether you thought this was a good start I, yeah. I feel like we could have gone for a lot longer. Whether you want us to shoot one of these in Diego's backyard or in you know, my garden, <laughs> you know, does this format work? And, and, and Diego, thank you for, for making this happen. It's brilliant yeah, to have you as a neighbor, as a co-creator, as a co-conspirator. Before we close the show, I want to try and do the thumbnail, right? Because every good show, every good show has, its, has its memeable thumbnail or its yep. big epic thumbnail. I'm wondering whether we can try and try and do a fist bump. Okay, let's do it with with with, with this. So I'm going to put my fist right here. We go the direction. Way, other side. No. Did now we fail already? Like Holy shit! Yeah, because my camera is mirrored. There we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Hang on, a little closer. All right. Now, 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 look at your fist. Oh. And that either worked or it didn't. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find out in the playback. We'll go back to that moment and see whether it actually there will be there will be either or, or right because the camera is mirrored. Man, yeah, I appreciate the conversation. It was really really cool for me. You know, if if there is three things I want the the audience to help us with is this was a pilot, right? We want to start like 
let's talk about everything. And then we, we figure out how we go from there, which, which for me is always the best place, right? There is no script. There is no agenda. We just talk about things we find valuable and get people's insight on it. So I'll, I'll ask for three call to actions. One is tell us who should, us, should we be talking with? So that's, that's first. Two would be how often should we be doing that? That's second. And three would be how do you want this to be formatted, right? Should that be half, should be an hour, half an hour we talk and we have a guest and half an hour we do Q&A and we just talk about whatever the community wants to hear. Uh, that's how I think it would be great, would be great to do. So those would be like, you know, the, the, the solutions I would ask the community to share with us to see how we go from here. That'd be awesome. Guys, you heard the man. If you, want us, if you want us to keep doing this, let us know how often, what format, what you'd like. We've got our own ideas. We're going to keep creating. We're going to keep coming up with whatever happens next. We will be back soon. Whether you like we'll, it or not, there we'll will be. We will be back. We will be back. Have a great <laughs> weekend, everybody. Happy Friday. Have, have a great rest of your day If for those who are watching this back later on. And we'll see you soon. Let's go.